MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances, whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know what happened next. To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Hey, listen! everybody welcome to another episode of one upsmanship go that's right go ahead and shake off that rain and uh put your jacket up on a hook and explore the empty house of content that we've provided for you because today we're going to be talking about a very meaningful but very i can we say haunting up top uh video game called gone home that was released in 2014. He gone home. He gone home. That's a reference for anyone who likes Chicago White Sox baseball. So That's enjoy right. that, all five of you. Uh, yeah, gone home. And uh, I'm one of mm-hmm. your hosts, Adam Ganser. And with me is uh, my beautiful uh, voice and text companion. Ooh la la, you can go home again. I'm Michael Swaim. Hi, shipheads. <laughs> hey, it's ship stuck. Heads. It's sticking. You're all shipheads. <laughs> oh, so you like it now? You like this I like bit it. now? Okay, great. Okay. I think a group of one-upsmanship fans should be referred to as like a a float or a turd. Oh, a float a turd of shipheads. Ship yeah. A float of shipheads. Mm. I like a turd of shipheads. <laughs> a turd of shipheads. Tur- oh, big okay. old. It's done. A big it old is sack done. of turds of shipheads. Yeah, that's what we're aiming for. <laughs> Hey, it's, Adam. Hey. Nice to speak with you, my friend, about video games. And there's a third voice. Let's chain the intros together. You intro me. I'll intro who? Me. I didn't. It took me a second to realize that was for me to jump in. And I said me, and they still don't know who that is. Hi, I'm Vanessa Guerrero. <laughs> Perfect. Welcome. Perfectly executed. Thank you. Longtime fans yes, of and welcome. this podcast will recall that Vanessa has been on so many of our uh, crucial episodes to this podcast. Uh, Maybe and the ultimate shiphead, potentially she our most be. frequent guest. Yeah. 100%. I might be one the biggest our, piece of ship. One of our best gamer <laughs> friends. Absolutely. I love gaming with y'all. Like, sincerely, I think from the first episode of One Upmanship, where we talked about Red Dead 
two, I believe. It mm-hmm, was either mm-hmm. that or Fallout. But I was just like, oh, I'm never leaving either of you alone. <laughs> <laughs> we love having you. Uh, I think this might be another one of those episodes. I'm glad. I'm glad this is the one that you picked out of the list, which is uh, how we often do this with guests. Like, hey, would you like to talk about? And then we give them a range. She picked this. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's only fitting that you introduce it to people who may not have heard of Gone Home. Uh, so are you ready to tell them like they're 8-bit, Vanessa? Absolutely. In that case, we pass our first checkpoint, which means we've turned on a light and opened a door. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, but it's meaningful. It's meaningful. We'll explain. We'll explain. Um, yeah, so in our first segment, tell me like I made bit Vanessa. This is... If you could please, uh, for the folks who may not know what Gone Home it is, it, Gone Home is at all from scratch. What are we going to be talking about today? Gone Home. So Gone Home is a game uh, that I completely played wrong the first time by playing it through rather quickly instead of taking my time to experience it. Um, the reason for that being is that Gone Home is essentially what most people would refer to as a walking simulator, um, although that's deeply underselling it for the eventual story that it plays out. It's it's a walking simulator masquerading as a horror game, which is interesting because this is a game about a lot of people and the masquerades that they lead in their day-to-day life as you discover them. Hmm. You play a... Uh, eldest daughter in a family that comes home to find everyone gone and a note from your younger sister. And you essentially move from room to room trying to figure out exactly what it is that happened and uh, picking up pieces of information and using basically just the clues that you find because there's nothing that really like activates or needs to be beat. You're just exploring to figure out what is happening with your family and what has happened to your family. In that sense, it almost plays like a virtual museum, although in this case it feels much more like a mausoleum of something that happened. Um, and it's a fantastic story exploring uh, many deep, awful, scary feelings. Uh, and this is in the format of a big mansion in the middle of the woods. So everything is telling this is a horror game when it is not. Okay, it's not interesting. Yeah, man, that's so exciting to me because I have a, I would have described it so differently, which makes this conversation have a lot of potential energy I mean, and dynamism. There's a horror game in there. <laughs> there's definitely a horror game in Gone Home, it, but it's, it's not well, the one you go in thinking that there is. It it definitely has a packaging like that. Like I don't think that I think that's completely right. That that's what you think you're getting into up top. <clears throat> Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's There's several fake outs, like the red hair dye and, right. you know, the ghost element. Like, there are moments in which the right. game wants you to believe that this is a horror game, right down to, like, that it is a dark and stormy night and the wood is especially creaky. Um, but that's not where the scary is. Right. Interesting. Great summary. Uh, I think that means, honestly, we need to pass another checkpoint right away and mm-hmm. get into the rants. Uh, and, uh, Michael, it feels like you want to start to, to pretend, maybe comment on what we've heard so far. Would that be accurate? Yeah. (laughs) I'll be honest. My, (laughs) my partner's getting dressed in the room that I'm in 
and my ADD is acting up, it's very hard to focus on both at once. Mm. And so can I go second to give them time to get out of my line of vision? (laughs) You can. You can. I just, uh, I feel... Bothering me. Can I say this one thing? I don't think I... Or third, if you want to do the guest sandwich thing. I don't think I should go first, because I did not play this... Anywhere near its heyday, I played it. Okay, like, they're gone. They're... Player one, Michael Swain, yeah, yeah. plugging in. Here's my rant. Um, this game takes place on my birthday, June the 7th. Now you Ooh. know, shipheads, send me gifts. Ooh. And uh, I just... Well, I would have I would have said this in game on, but since it forms the nugget of a rant, I guess here we go. I think I totally vibe with the fact that it masquerades in the beginning as a horror game, although I do think you quickly dispel that or it it doesn't take long for you to realize, "Oh, nothing's going to jump out at me." That's the whole game I'm exploring. So I think this is an interesting conversation to have because we've just had our Animal, animal Crossing conversation and um god willing, we have a Stardew Valley conversation coming up. <laughs> and I know we have a No Man's Sky conversation coming up, which is a little further down this road toward a real quote-unquote game. But um I think it's no, so I'll say a few things. I it's interesting that you focused on I do get scary feelings or emotions that are concerning or disturbing from this. Um, I consider this the most tender, uplifting romance I've ever experienced from a game. Oh, definitely. Other than maybe The Last of Us 2 DLC, uh, where they play Squirt Gun in the mall. That's that the one, first you know, the one. Left one Behind. I mean? Yeah, left, Last of Us Left one. Behind. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. The Last of Us 1 DLC Left yeah. Behind. Um this is right up there with that for me and is so much more simply composed that I think that makes it all the more impressive. And uh, yeah, it just, I like, I get swept away by the love story in this, which I think is really, really something unique. And I also don't think it's a coincidence that this sort of coincided with the rise of the popularity of escape rooms. Oh, yeah. And, um, this game, mm. I, I think, famously influenced things like What Remains of Edith Finch. And uh, there was one other example I had in mind coming into this conversation, but it slips my mind now. An- but Anatomy? these games, uh, I don't know that one. It's an but, HIO game. Oh, great. I'm sure folks listening who know it are get the vibe we're talking about. An exploration game or sort of a museum. I mean, you said it perfectly when you said it's kind of like going around a museum, um, but it's your house. And just stringing together the storytelling. And it's comparable to one of these games that's like a narrative adventure like The Quarry or a Telltale game, but it's through found objects rather than... And I find that really compelling because I'm big on story and I'm big on games using themselves to dispense story in a unique way that could only happen through games. And to me, like dumping a bunch of objects out. It almost makes me want to do this in real life. For example, this sounds wild, and maybe I'm the only person that would like this, but I would like, as a medium, (laughs) someone comes out and dumps a bunch of objects out, and you look at them and like interact with them and interpolate a story. Like This is a curated group of objects. The story is you figure it out by interacting with these objects. Some of them open up, some of them unlock each other, etc. Um, like the real world equivalent of this would also be neat to me. And I realize if you turn that into a puzzle, that's what escape rooms are. So I do think uh, we sort of went through this moment of realizing 
there can be games that are story first in this way. And we're like experimenting with quote unquote gamelessness in th- with things like Animal mm-hmm. Crossing, etc. Uh, and this is, you know, one stroke in that big mural. And I think a very good one. I like it. I cried at the end. End of rant. Oh, I did both times I played it. Beautiful rant. Uh, Vanessa, do you mind going next or would you like me to go next? Oh, absolutely. I'm down. Okay, great. Vanessa, hit it. Um, I think there's an absolutely gorgeous love story in this, but I think the reason why it feels so much like a scary story to me um, and why I think it is a scary story to me is I play horror games from the perspective of like how a horror movie is, which is I'm the character from the point of view. So I have to have like the most empathy for whatever the person on screen is currently like feeling. And so I'm feeling this as like an older sibling returning home to her family and she's been gone for a year. And there's something really terrifying about leaving your family and like living your own life. And this is also probably going to divulge more into like why I specifically find this scary, but like choosing you and then coming back to realize that a disaster has happened in your absence and you have Mm. no, I, you had no idea. And it's not so much just like the younger sibling, uh, feeling more and more isolated from everyone around her while she has this amazing romance happening. Um, just parents and, and peers that don't quite understand her, but also like the parents and their marriage and how like the mother is having an emotional affair that no one really knows about. And then feeling legitimately angry at her when you find like a gift from that person and the matchbook underneath the bed and realizing she was indulging this to like the relief of realizing that they're on a marriage retreat. And then the stomach drop of like, it's too late. It's too late. Our family is already irreverably like it's, it's never going to be fixed ever again um and even just like seeing the layers of trauma that happens in terms of like what the father went through and like what is found in the walls um it's it almost feels like how trauma feels like a generational curse uh how when it's like so seeped in that it like it lives in the wood like a blood stain where it's like we're never gonna scrub that out and we're always gonna be reminded of it um, so yeah, this, uh, this game, both times that I played it, uh, made me do big open mouth cry. Here we go. End rant. <laughs> ah, open mouth cry. Tears just shooting out. Yeah. Yeah. Just splashing out of here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, great. Well, uh, Adam Ganser player three logging in. Um, I just played this game for the first time about six months ago. Uh, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe a little less, uh, and also, I think it's fair to say, out of all three of us, I'm the person this should appeal to the least, right? I think that's fair to say, as like a yeah. as a shooter, middle-aged white male type, you know? But sometimes you surprise me. Like, yeah. I was streaming yeah. Return of the Obra Dinn the other day, and you said twice, man, this game looks really cool. And I'm like, you think that, Adam Ganser? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I um, just want to you know, say... So you never know. I do. I, I totally agree. I just want to say, this game absolutely blew me away just (gasps) totally blew me away i loved it loved it and i mean loved it from probably the first like 20 minutes of it were like what is this man is this some horse shit that swam uh foisted on Mm -hmm, me mm -hmm. and then once i got (laughs) like got us got on the scent of what this was about like man this is one of my favorite love stories in a game i totally agree with mike about that um, it's one of my favorite 
uh, queer stories, period. Like, I'm mm-hmm. trying to think. I was like, uh, like this and like Six Feet Under is another one that really stood out to me. And like, as a straight man, being introduced to these kinds of stories is really, uh, really affecting. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think also the fact that it took place in 1995 sort of summoned me back to that time and remembering being a teenager at that time and And thinking like, wow, well, and just, uh, just thinking like, wow, I was clueless about this reality back then. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like there Mm -hmm. were a lot of people like me back then who just wouldn't have seen this even if it was hiding Mm -hmm. in plain sight. And that's kind of what this is. That's kind of what the game is is that like there's all kinds of truths that are hiding in plain sight that you can't really see until you have to look for them. You know, and that's what's so great about it. Um it was very affecting. Uh I streamed it. It was a perfect kind of game to stream um because everybody is having the same experience together and that's a really fun thing. Um this game is a great exercise in storytelling on two levels that make it unique. One is that uh, text docs in general are a thing that games try to use to tell stories all the time and typically relegate it to sort of the ancillary or lore piece of storytelling. Like, for instance, from soft games, that's what they do. Or even Skyrim or some game like that, right? Where it's like, here's some bullshit about vampires that fits in the world somewhere. And you're like, okay, great. This game's like, nope, that's the only way we're going to tell the story. And uh, it, it, because they made that the primary way to ingest story, they really worked on the character of it, the voice acting of it, the, the way the things are written. All of it has a lot of meaning. Um, and it was very effective. And it proves, I think, beyond a shadow of a doubt that as an art form, video games can tell stories in a way that no other art form can. This is a game that proves that. Um, it also has just strong art design throughout, even though it's like a three person team. Like, the, and by that, I don't mean it looks awesome. Like it's not a gorgeous game, like a, you know, horizon forbidden West. It's a really thought out artfully constructed game. Like everything you're looking at is carefully considered. The fonts are carefully considered. The floorboards are carefully considered and you can feel it if you're looking for it. And that was rad. One other thing I just want to say, this is a, this indie game is also proof of why veteran storytellers are essential to us as artists because everybody on this game came from Bioshock 2 and that was a really telling fact like they all came from a great storytelling exercise but I for whatever reason they're like let's make our own little game studio and make an indie game and they started with kind of a more sci-fi premise and then sort of boiled it down to something very simple and meaningful and told it really well. And I think you can tell like, oh yeah, the experience was needed to, to be able to execute a game like this and to tell a story of this amount of maturity. And that is a thing that kind of warms my heart because I, while I do think that, you know, a constant... Uh, we constantly need new storytellers. I also think it's nice to see what veteran storytellers can do when challenged. And that's kind of a fun piece of this game. Um, So yeah, I really, really liked it. Um, I can't recommend it enough to somebody who's like, I've played every Call of Duty and I want something else. Try this out, Mm -hmm. man. You know what I mean? Like this is something that it'll be surprising and it will test your patience for a little bit. But if you get swept up, you're going to have a great two hours of your life. And it'll be a special two hours. By the way, yeah. 
it takes two hours and you can literally download it to your PS5 in like 90 seconds. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so rewarding, I think, if you like story at all. Like it really does that. And that's my rant. Good rant. Good plant. Good God. Let's grant some time for the ads <laughs> and then we'll be back. Sounds great. Let's do it. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess, the 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> That's me crying at the end of this game, and we're back. <laughs> um, I, I'll, I'll kick game on, which is the segment we're in now where we just chat off with this meaty slice. You guys, this game reminds me of an Elvis Costello lyric that goes like this. Truth can't hurt you. It's just like the dark. It scares you witless, but in time you see things clear and stark. And uh, I just want to shout out when Vanessa mentioned that the game starts scary and it has the floor creaks. That really, really resonated with me and sort of made me realize how much I think that there's a synergy between... The fact that you start the game feeling a little scared because of the dark atmosphere and the dark and stormy night of it all. And then it slowly becomes, or at least for me, became familiar and felt like, oh, no, 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 that's just the house settling. Like that sound of yeah. creakiness doesn't scare me I because I feel very safe. I know now this is not a game where stuff's going to jump out. Although how funny would it be if there was like a Five Nights at Freddy's fucking thing at the end? I would be so mad. <laughs> that would be very funny. There, yeah. there is a formalist meta narrative going on in the way the game is played. And I think that's part of it. That I, like, yeah, so what I'm getting at is go. you go from scary to familiar, 
which is exactly the struggle that people who have the burden of homophobia are dealing with in the game, where they're yeah. going to, right? This revelations come to light. It's going to make them uncomfortable. They're going to be scared. But ultimately, there's nothing for them to fear. Everything's fine. I, that's yeah, cool to me. That's right. And I think literally every character has that in this, right? Like even... Uh, like if I remember the, it's been six months, so I don't remember exactly how the romance story started. But if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. even uh, Samantha was sort of not, like, wasn't totally aware of how she felt for a while, right? Like oh, yeah. she was, yeah. It, so, it was. Um, they were friends, and she came over to dye her hair, which is the initial right. like, oh, this is a horror game because it looks like there's blood in the tub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was like those initial moments of intimacy in which they both were like. So that wasn't an accident, right? And then the kiss happens. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, and they come. They play Street Fighter after school and stuff. Yep. Because she was uh, sick of being Psycho House Girl. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is, it's not just that story. So as we've alluded to, it basically is a story of a girl falling in love and coming out to her parents and then running away. Is the A plot. But there's so many layered things that make it a truly like six feet under is not a bad touchstone. There's like a layered complex web of relationships. Like the one that really gets me is that Sam writes these short stories that at first just seem like silly, random junior high nonsense, like journals. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that they are representative of her falling in love. And then you further realize that she's actually a very good writer and starting to excel at writing at the same time that her dad has tried his whole life to be a novelist and has failed and is like now writing reviews for stereos and shit. And there's a complex nested tragedy there. I say as someone who's like gotten farther in entertainment than my dad and my dad really wanted to be entertainment in entertainment and there is a weird resentment there <laughs> um, oh interesting that, yeah yeah that is that i'm like man there's so to hear that a different facet of it hit vanessa so hard and this random facet of it hit me so hard it's like it really is like a season of television it's not just a i mean it's approaching that it's, right it's I, dense yeah. with it's dense with it's, narrative it, there's dense a lot with interrelationship there. Yeah. yeah there's a lot there like you can find a piece of the family's story to connect to uh i think from basically any walk of life like i i, I do think even though this family is very specific in particular their their various uh secret sufferings are mm -hmm. all recognizable to somebody you Whereas know i will yeah. say uh Ness, have you played Edith Finch? I started it, like, mm -hmm. just barely, and then the game completely, like, crashed on me, and it was the computer oh. that I was using, so I'm actually planning on playing it this weekend. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then I won't get too much into it, but I'll just <laughs> say that uh, it definitely separates things out a lot more, and you have little short stories that sort of resolve themselves and are highly... Uh, surrealistic or like you know literally something magical happens it's a like, little oh, more that's abstract. a metaphor for this yeah 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 it's, it's a little Whereas more abstract this feels like which in some ways i think is harder to do um 
fully mundane. It's, it's almost concrete. like an Arthur Miller play. Concrete, yeah. grounded in reality. And yet, the more you dig into it, you're like, life is actually interesting. There's a lot here. Yeah. It's like how I love fantasy and sci-fi. And if I sit down to read like a Michael Chabon novel, I will sometimes be like, here we go. Normal people doing you know, bland suburban stuff. And then you read it and you go, actually, people contain multitudes and are very interesting. Right. That's it's, interesting. It's the, yeah. it's the Raymond Carver, <laughs> it's the Raymond Carver, Andre Dubas, he- Ernest Hemingway school of like, yeah. hey, just like, just because it's terse, basic po- like prose doesn't mean there's not an ocean of meaning beneath it. Like this is yeah. the video game f- version of that. That every person is is interesting and and, and layered and they are all the main characters of their own story. And, like, for me it was really interesting because, like, on both run-throughs, obviously the person that I'm most uh, inclined to relate to is Sam in that I was, like, the queer artistic weirdo of my family that, like, left way too young and with, like, no notice and obviously the world is like very scary for me because I was very ill prepared for it because that's what happens when you leave the house as a very young teen and I'd always thought about that from my perspective and just what happened to me and how I felt and this was the game that put me in the perspective of my older brother who was like Mm -hmm. out in Los Angeles at the time living his life and being like what happened like I I thought everything was fine and so, like, I I never at all perceived him to be as scared as I was until I played this game. And I felt like the outsider that used to be someone inside in that, like, in that sense of, like, I know everything that's happening being, like, what has happened since I was gone to the people that I care about? And that's so fascinating. And what's interesting is the game invites you to meet it in imagination space because that's solely in your imagination. Your character is just a camera that moves through the space. We never see them. There are no mirrors. There are no mirrors and you never speak. So that means if you follow me, like the game could have started and said, set it up like you're the dad and you just got home from work and you're walking around going, what's going on? But, uh, I just think that speaks to the power of obviously they chose the sister for that specific reason to raise the questions that Vanessa just talked about. But it's fascinating to me that that whole deep introspection fully exists in the space of imagination between the player and the game. Uh, And I think when you when you do a lot of work in that interpolative space, you know, you got it. That's like a games game. You know what I mean? I, I would say, uh, that is always possible in video games, right? But like not a lot of designers choose to rely on it in the same mm-hmm. way, right? Like that's the same assumption that it's the master chief assumption. Or the you know? cyberpunk yeah. mates. Yeah. They're like, you're, you're hope they're hoping you're imagining yourself as this cool character. Yeah. And this, I mean, Bioshock also, which is where they came from, but mm-hmm. they, yeah. they did a great job of like leaning far enough into it that it had to work for the game to hold together and it did and i I think a lot of like sam's intimacy in her vo to where like she's so isolated but she's willing to share this with you like that she keeps these things hidden from everybody else and the voice actor does a really good job of being like but i send this to you person that i have tenderness and trust with well that's what's interesting is that like it it feels a little bit like 
the this is one of those absence made the heart grow fonder relationships where mm, they they yeah. weren't actually that close when she left. That's part of what happened. Is that and uh, yet it ends with "I love you so much, Katie. I'll see you again well, someday." Because that's what family is. You know what I mean? And yeah. and I don't mean that it always happens like that, but I mean that's what as a concept family is supposed to be. You know, wherever we find it, that's what we're looking for. Is like the the love that is never, uh, that's never extinguished by circumstance. You know, and uh, it exists, yeah, and that's that was cool. I mean, that was a meaningful thing to me. Can I also say, in in defense of something that Vanessa said, I forgot this when I was first started the episode, but it occurred to me I was afraid that Sam had committed suicide for a lot of this game. That's what I thought my mm. first run through. Yeah, that was I, and I don't think I don't think that was an accident. I think that the dread of the circumstance doesn't actually leave you uh, while you're playing it until the very last like ten fifteen minutes where they tell you what happened. That's fascinating, you know? because and I agree that you're right. I completely like whoosh over my head was the scary shit. There is because there's also a subplot. One of their dates at the house was using a Ouija board to summon a ghost. Right. The house is known for being haunted. There's this subplot about Oscar the ghost and like a psycho who came to the house and stuff. Um, and there's the red in the sink. I missed all that. I never thought that there was even the implication that something bad could have happened. And I don't know why. That's just the way that I played the game mentally. I think I had heard ahead of time, oh, this is an exploration game without any action in it. So I somehow went in with that. I, but that's it doesn't make it not there. All that stuff's definitely completely I intentionally felt, there. <laughs> I felt dread on the level of like like a Walking Dead episode, yeah, uh, like a, I, a oh, yeah. Telltale game, yeah. where it's like, God, well, I hope nothing happened to Sam. I, I, please don't have committed suicide. Please don't let that I, be what the story is, you know? That's exactly what I was thinking of initially before like, I realized that she chose differently. And I think the thing that I found more uh, upon that playthrough was like the Oscar pieces that were especially like heartbreaking, because I truly don't mm. know what happened but you can find more oscar details not even so much in things that you can pick up but um clues in specifically like the basement and what is the basement in terms of like the house is built it's like everything that we want you to see is in the foyer everything that we like want to like bury is in the basement and while like sam has a lot of her m more overt declarations of romance for mm -hmm. lonnie down there Oscar has a lot of the things that he's ashamed of down there. Cause like when you initially find that Ouija board, you see him starting to say the words, I want to come back. Mm -hmm. And right. in that safe, there's a letter that is marked return to sender to the dad's mother. In this case, Oscar's sister saying like, please forgive me of my transgression. I've like quit my job to avoid temptation um, I've, I've done everything that I can so that I don't make a mistake like that ever again. I just want to be like referred to by my own family as human again. And the letters return to sender and mm. around that letter are like equipment and pieces of rubber tubing for heroin. And in that basement, you find oh, the dad's right. height chart and the dad's height chart stops in 1963 and the dad is obsessed with writing about the JFK assassination, which happened in 1963. So something mm -hmm. happened to all of them in 1963 that they wish they could turn back. Because right. wow. he wasn't... Wow. Yeah. I, I got the distinct impression the writers 
choose to, they don't even know, or they choose that they don't know what it is, Yeah. but that they know when it happened and how it affected everyone. It's just something traumatic happened. That, exactly. That's all we're working with. And Terrence yeah. had that relationship with Oscar where he was like, I'm closer to my uncle than I am to my father because his father, like even as an adult was very like hypercritical and, and kind of cold with him and he was just becoming that same person but he had this warm tender relationship with his uncle but even then like everything also just existed in the basement and in secret so you don't know what happened but it changed oscar and terrence forever yeah so now now i'm reading the wikipedia article to to see what else is said and they they define it more clearly as a as a sexual uh, abuse situation. Uh, oh, really? That's a, yeah. I I've didn't seen catch a 50, that either. 50 split. I didn't get that yeah. deep into it to I, make that revelation. Man, that's yeah, and that's saying something for a game where your main job is to find every light in the house and turn it on. Or that's what it felt like. I was like, it wasn't a walking simulator so much as a turning lights on simulator. No, it was. Walking, I don't want to be like, in the dark right now. Walking yeah. simulator is such a misnomer for what this game is because. Walking Simulator suggests to me that it's about traveling a distance or that it's like a Death Stranding type situation. It's a found object simulator. Right. It's, yeah. yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's an investigating a room is a more accurate description of the mechanic of it. Uh, yeah, I'm not and I'm just not disputing that you said like I'm, I'm disputing anybody that would categorize it that way. It's like, nah, that's not that doesn't make sense. Uh, so did you guys when you were playing it, uh, did it transport you back to the time? that this story was set in oh, or am I the only totally. one? There's a ticket to Pulp Fiction in the couch, oh like a gosh. fresh ticket to Pulp Fiction. The, uh, the, obviously the musical choices and the posters on the wall. Like, yes, it very much felt like the actual nineties, which is indeed an additional layer of appeal for me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, like, so that's part of it. So I was born in 92. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. but the thing is there's still this like era of, the era of a girl like Lonnie existed well into like there's some overlap, yeah. My prepubescence, totally. especially like totally. seeing Bratmobile, and like in my case, it was like mixed CDs. But like those, the feelings of just like meeting a girl and then suddenly being like, I can't stop talking about her. She's so cool. I bet I just want to be her friend so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and like not quite realizing why you're suddenly wearing black nail polish because somebody else did it and it looks really cool and you want to emulate that. Um, so it, it brought me back to like that area and even my room, like my room was one of the only rooms that locked and it was because I put a lock on it and because I oh. very much was like experiencing stuff for myself. So I needed a place to like securely and firmly have secrets Like, I needed to be able to have secrets. And so I even had, like, a little... It was a short one, but I had a little locker. And I had, like, areas that I would hide things. And I think I even told Swam about this once, but I had a fake journal. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, I had a... Decoy journal. A dummy? Like, a dummy journal to be found? I had a dummy journal in which it was like, I ate this at school today. I had a great lunch. You know, this is... Everything's fine. Like, I had a full-on dummy journal. (laughs) Did you throw in anything kind of salacious in the dummy journal so that, like, any believable things that might, so the oh, person yeah. would be satisfied? Because oh, I was this 14. Is a real journal. 
yeah, it was also really embarrassing. So I played myself up a little bit too much where I'd be like, yeah. And then this person was super nice to me in which it like totally didn't happen. Or Mm -hmm. like, and then this person said I was great. Like I almost played it up a little (laughs) bit too much. Because I didn't yeah. have like the context clues to be like, and then Made I should give them something like the negative. Ferris Bueller of Do, the school have you ever, in your yeah. dummy journal. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever read the dummy journal and thought of it as a kind of satire? Like, is there you know, anything meaningful about it now? I have actually read it, like because yeah. my parents kind of kept it. We kept everything because, like, again, I was in a situation where I left the house very early, and while we've like done all of the work to like be a like whole happy loving family again we keep all this stuff because by pretending it's not there we don't improve in our communication as adults right right. um so they have my dummy journal and they also have my like actual journals and i was rereading the dummy journal and it was interesting because like at the time i was like everything that i'm writing is fake it's everything that i want them to see so that they know things are like fine or i'm not feeling these feelings but I now read it as an adult and the dummy journal feels like it was what I kind of wanted, but didn't want to admit to myself that mm, I wanted, yeah, which yeah. was like being very <gasps> normal. The dummy yeah. journal's the real journal. The dummy but, journal not, is the but, real journal. The dummy like, journal is actually expressing something also. Yeah. But wait, like, but that's, but that also is awesome as an artifact of a young oh, yeah. mind. Like I, like I love both journals. For, for you know what I mean? Like, I think they're both Because they're both me. Yeah. Because, like, even yeah. the fake one was, like, oh, I expressed a desire to be, like, loved and experience uh, social interactions in it's a way that... a record of what you I felt think like normalcy is. What I thought normal was. And, like, yeah. because it, it also had, like, honestly, and I say this with love in the world, very foolish ideas that I had about how other people were living. I thought everyone's lives and mental inner workings were so much easier than mine. Like, I had this perception of, like, no one thinks these things about themselves. No one feels these things. Like, it, w- it was a very, almost like, I mean, in the way that every teenager is a narcissist, narcissistic idea of suffering. Sure. And I thought everyone was having, like, the best time possible. So, like, the thing that I was cosplaying as, the normal, is something that, like, simply doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's also part of the describe. suffering, right? That's what's Being so, a teenager. Yep. <laughs> I don't. I don't think everybody's I'm the only one. I don't think everybody's no, teen years are like. I don't think everybody's teen years are that. I think the the that is a unique aspect of suffering that not only teenagers experience. Right. It's like I think people who are yeah. prone to sadness or grappling with sadness, there's a particular cast to the sadness that happens in your teen years that is more narcissistic than after when you're in your 30s, yeah. 40s. You start when, to be like... When you've learned to manage it oh, more. Actually, it's pretty full of myself to think I'm the only person who's ever been sad. I think you do get over that yeah. a little bit. Be- but when I was a teen, I remember having that feeling so crystal clear. No one's ever felt this way except <laughs> me. Yeah. And uh, writing poems about it that are now embarrassing to read, but similar to the dummy <laughs> journal, very revealing of like, oh, this is what he thought you should feel like about g- girls or breaking up or whatever. You're like play acting trauma in some ways embarrassing or, uh, or play poems. acting healing. Em- yeah. Embarrassing poems like this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Can you imagine if I just read a poem right now? Uh, just one of ours. You somehow have the dummy journal and yeah. all of Michael's poems. Oh, if only I did. Uh, that would that. Honestly, I think I, I have. 
like nine journals that start with one page. Hey, journal, I'm going to write in you every day. It's and been that's a the while, only journal. Page that's written. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. like, there's one more that's like, it's been a while. Yeah. But so, like, I mean, as a bit, yeah, like, right, if I had all the journals. But also, I think that that's one of the appeals of this game and video games in general is this sort of idea that you can uh, get this, like, secret window. Uh, into people's lives because not like it's not like a film where like you only get shown what they want to show you right no it's telling that it's yeah. so ubiquitous that one of the things we suspend our disbelief about in almost every game most games there are games that have theft systems but most games you can go in a store, go behind the counter, right. go in someone's bedroom, right. look through their shit and they don't get mad at you. And that's because we know instinctively, well if you're going to build a virtual environment I want to go through all of it. Right. I want yeah. access to all the shit. And usually we hang story beats off that. It is interesting the few places like, you know, Stardew Valley, you can't enter people, people's bedrooms, or um, there are some modern AAA games where, right, the shopkeeper will go, you can't go back there and shit. But, man, it's it's wild how often we just nose around people's crap. Well, and, like, so I th- I appreciate that video games have over the – course of their you know 40 year existence or whatever 50 year existence have like figured out the human instincts to indulge and that voyeurism is one of them you know what i mean like that's one <laughs> that you that this format has to indulge uh that i mean you know paintings don't as much you know like just other mediums don't in the same way uh now, you know what i demand of a game that i don't demand of a painting the ability to put a basket over a shopkeep's head and rob them blind. Right, right. Silliness, right? Yeah. Like, that's the other thing. Yeah. Like, silliness to ind- uh, further indulge the kind of voyeur instincts. Uh, I, I want to say, like, one schmaltzy thing, if you don't mind. Uh, what's Schmaltz? Your- hey, I love you too, man. What's, well, I do love you both. Uh, but one, <laughs> one thing that struck me about the 90s of it all is that... Uh, like I was definitely transported in a way that was like, man, I was so unaware of how people my age who were dealing with this were feeling like that's a thing that I walked away from the game from. And that made me a little hopeful about the progress that's been made. You know what I mean? Like how, how this, how different this story would have to be in 2022. Uh, I don't know, dude, but I don't know how different it will have to be in 2025. And this that's is the thing. I totally not why agree. we gathered here today, but I'm like, yeah, 1995 when gay marriage was illegal. Well, thank God that will never happen again. It's like Hugh, <laughs> oh, totally. Jesus, I, it's so I agree. So searingly relevant. It's upsetting. Of course it is, but also like I think there is. Uh, I get, how can I say this? Uh, I there was something a little uplifting about the fact that culture has shifted so much on this issue. Uh, the Supreme Court's issues aside, and I get that these are real problems. I'm not belittling them. No, no, no. It's two steps forward, one step back, and you're talking about the two steps forward right now. I'm trying to. Yeah, Yeah. I'm trying to. Yeah. You know, especially as a, you know, as a cishet white dude who, again, was oblivious to this. Not not oblivious that it existed, but oblivious to, like, hey, people next to me were dealing with this problem, and I didn't really see that, you know? I actually first became aware of these issues because my cousin, Sam came out as gay and had to run away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is really, uh, yeah. But running away on. was like how it, like what this people had really to do in the 90s. Like that yeah. was a common story. Yeah. They had to run away. You know, like yeah. they couldn't have a family anymore. You know, like, uh, yeah. So, or like, anyway. 
even in the case of like the 2000s where I might like relate more on the Lonnie end of like being from a like she she described her mother being like kind of religious and in my case it's not my parents but like the entire rest of the family and like the environment I was in because like I came out the year Prop 8 was being like proposed yeah Yeah. Uh, and where it was like a thing that like everyone around me like knew what it wasn't understood because also like things like queer eye were a show but it was very much like the era of uh you could do whatever you want over there like you know we're not going to be like as hateful as we are but we very much are like do whatever you want right Right. exactly because it was like that amount of time keep it secret and yeah I think you're kind of seeing not so much of like a resurgence of that now, but I think the reason why this needs to stay the same forever is what you're seeing in queer communities is younger queers not really knowing like how many, I'm sorry, everyone, but how many punches older queers had to take. And so they fall for a lot of the um, kind of like pearl clutching Puritan conservative propaganda because they don't know how much of like our fucking used to be illegal. Um, and so I, I like these testaments because like also so many, like quite frankly, so many old queers are dead that we don't really have our history to pass on unless it exists mm. in museums like this. Yeah. I mean, and, and as a person who's not part of that community, I, you know, you can see the value of it from any angle. You know, I, I did immediately. I was like, this is a, this is an important story because it really does meaningfully archive uh, a place uh, in a place in time where this was how people experienced dealing with being queer. Like, you know I mean? That's what it was. Uh, and it felt very, yeah. very believable to me, you know? Um, yeah. For, for whatever that is worth. Three, two, <laughs> one. All right. Well, I think that's enough of a gap for me to say, let's take a quick break and come back with final thoughts and we'll decide whether Gone Home makes it to the Celestial Hard Drive. Does that sound like a plan? Yeah. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances and the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, and we're back. Easy peasy. Um, Gosh, I really loved that conversation, and I'm super, super hoping the algorithm didn't pair us with some fucking Lockheed Martin parlor ad (laughs) over the course of that break, because it's happened once before, and people kindly wrote in, and uh, yeah, keep letting us know when that happens, because we want to sort it out. We do, we do, we do take that seriously. We have talked to people We do take that, yes, of course. Um, But anyway... That brings us to basically the end of our show, but there's one important, important piece left, which is where we determine whether the game makes it onto a celestial hard drive that, as of this taping, is not yet full. That's correct. Uh, So this won't have to bump anything off, per se, uh, that we will show to either the aliens or um, the angel-like beings that descend and whatever. Whoever you're trying to impress, basically. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) I'll go first because I'm talking and I have the conch shell. (laughs) Fair enough. And just say that over the course of this conversation, I changed my mind um, because I love this game very much. But it is some discussing it with my learned friends has made me realize there were layers that I didn't even pick up on until today that make me appreciate it even more deeply. Uh, and the last one I'll I'll bring up now is I think it's fitting that you first go you're in the ground floor and then to get to the end of the game you basically go to the basement then all the way up to the ground floor then to the top floor then to the attic and then you're in a dark room so right you're rising to the occasion mm-hmm. and it culminates in a room where it looks very scary it's very dim but it's actually where things are developing. It's where change is happening. It's where the truth is coalescing into a photograph and something's being revealed. Um, so it's so well made and executed and there's so many strings to pull at and layers that I didn't even pick up on in such a small package. Because again, this is a 90 minute to two hour experience. Vanessa was saying earlier, she got through it in an hour once. I think yeah. you could probably speed run it in 25 minutes if you ignored all the good parts. But, uh, but why do that? Yeah. But why do that? Yeah, yeah. keep it. I'm keeping it. Okay. Uh, not. I, I mean, that was that was. I'm surprised that this was a change of opinion for you. I was sh- just shy of a key. Interesting. And I've been pushed over the line. And I'll because it it was the revelation of like, oh, there is. There are formal elements that mimic what the characters are going through. Um, It really, I only experienced it from one facet, but hearing that Vanessa really, and you, highlighted like different facets appealed to me, made me realize, oh, this isn't just a slice of pie. It's a whole pie. Like, I don't know. There's even more to this. There's a lot of pie to go back to. Yeah, there's more to this than I even gave it credit for. So it bumped me up to a keep. I think before it was like a, I really like this game, but I'm not keeping it. Tug at my collar uncomfortably. Okay. 
So this this pushed me all the way. Interesting. Uh, Vanessa, how do you feel about it? He loves being the final vote. This time I do. (laughs) Hell yeah. Um, I think, uh, especially after that last conversation we have, I'm so much more in the camp of keep it because it's uh, queer history and the way that, like, queer history has existed and continues to exist and the way that we have to, like, find it. Um, It's why I love so much that it is set in the 90s, but it's a game that comes out now. So while there are, like, elements of nostalgia it's also just like a slice of an experience from that time and like obviously queer history is something that's constantly being omitted we know alan turing is an incredible uh you know we know we know what happened to his mind and we know why the turing test exists we don't know Mm. what happened to him in the end when we have those like frank conversations about him and why that happened to him like we have pride parades we have literally no like cultural wide other than a if you're a queer person like frame of what happened to start it like and and who started it and we don't like we don't know who Marsha p johnson is in the same way that we know like the names of other civil rights leaders and even in our art we've existed in like celluloid closets and in 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 paper in like subtext and in longing looks so like of course a video game that is a piece of queer history uh, only exists in somebody looking in through the margins and having to find it. And I think both this from like a storytelling aspect, but like if you're a young person that wants to know everything everyone before you did for you to exist now, I think this has mm-hmm. to exist in your library. Great argument. Uh, great argument. I'll, I, I want to add just a little more about this. I mentioned it, but we didn't talk about it much. This game is actually really great mechanically at, Oh yeah. At making a a rewarding reading experience. Um, we said that, but like I, I've been troubled by a lot of games where they're asking me to read all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to fucking read all this. And like, and I've been saying on this podcast, like that's not storytelling. Um, this game really challenges that. Um, I played another game recently that we'll talk about on this podcast called The Outer Wilds that also challenged that for me. Um, I think that it, it. I think that when it's the ancillary or sort of secondary aspect of storytelling, it tends to not be very rewarding um, for me, at least as a gamer. And I think for most gamers, like it's not. It's not the most emotionally rewarding way to get story, but this game shows how when done right, it can be equally rewarding to any medium. Um, and that is important for this medium. And more than that, I'm trying to think of other love stories that belong on the hard drive. You know what I mean? And there's not that many. Like, video mm-hmm. games aren't really that good at doing love stories. Um, there haven't been that many great love stories in video games. Not like movies, where I feel like they've really explored that in more depth. Um, this is, I think, the best one I've ever played. I'm, I'm really struggling to find a better one um, where you actually get the full experience of it, uh, the ups and the downs, the humanity of it. And uh, I think that kind of deserves to be preserved. You know, uh, I think for the reasons Vanessa said, but also for the reasons of, hey, human love is a thing that is really important in our art. And uh, video games aren't that good at it. And this game is excellent at it. And that and the mechanical pieces deserve preservation on the hard drive. So I'm definitely keeping it. Definitely keeping it. And I remember the big other one that came out around the same time that had a similar 
vibe and tried to tackle a lot of the same things was Firewatch, and I just mm. think this is a lot stronger than Firewatch. Yeah. In terms of if I was going to, I'm keeping one of the games that feels like this. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Do we want to let Vanessa plug something? Is now the time for that to happen? I feel like, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm down. I mean, if we keep going, I'm going to tell you what I think about Tune, and you don't want that. <laughs> I do want that, just not today. Vanessa, where can people find you online, and what are you working on? Uh, you can find me under Ness with two S's, Guerrero, on Twitter, and SNES Guerrero on Instagram. Um, my podcast, Kicking and Screaming, is making a return after like a two-month hiatus, because to be quite frank, I needed to take care of a brain for a little bit. And uh, now that she's plump, she's squishy, she's hydrated, she's feeling... Not consumed by anxiety, that podcast will be coming back with our uh, uh, double impact basket case episode. Um, and you can also find me uh, on G4.tv every Tuesday on uh, Vibe Check and every Wednesday and Sunday on Fresh Ink. Um, and I think that's it. Yes. Really well done. That <laughs> was you. like a tell me like I'm 8-bit in and of itself. Yeah. Of, 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 of me. Of too, too bad she yeah, didn't save Sonic. You. you know, too bad Sonic's life wasn't at mm-hmm. stake. We could have. He could still be alive. He died many. A, he died with the format <laughs> he change. He sure yeah, did. He's gone. That's why my podcast <laughs> on the way went on of hiatus. The Sega CD. My brain mm-hmm. was the sound of that track. <laughs> <laughs> but now yeah, it's bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but now it's a uh, Spiral Mountain. Nice. Mm. Well, that's all I got. Adam? Uh, all I'll say is that uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast and like to hear Mike, oh, yeah, and, Mike and I speak more about other things, uh, you can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash smallbeans, where you can hear so many podcasts about so many topics, many of them including either one of us or both of us. We got podcasts about metaverses. We got podcasts about depression, about movies, many movies podcasts, by the way. Uh, we got mm-hmm. podcasts about music, about the nature of friendship. Uh, the list goes on and on. We are here to entertain you. Uh, so go check it out. Please enjoy all the content we create. And if you feel like throwing us a couple of bucks, we'll be ever so grateful. We love you, shipheads. Work complete. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. 
Seven questions, limitless answers. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances, whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.